Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I've got Keegan Hipgrave in the beach shack. Now, he was born and bred on the Gold Coast. He started playing football at a very young age and ended up in the NRL, starting off in the juniors with the Broncos. He played Queensland under-18s and also the Australian schoolboys. But then his big break came when he got signed by the Gold Coast Titans and went on from there and then also the Parramatta Eels. But unfortunately, his career was cut short when he suffered from many concussions throughout his football career and was told that he needed to retire at the age of about 24. Keegan also speaks about what he is doing now in helping others and giving back. He's now with what ability and that team has been amazing for autistic kids and everybody else that comes through that team and gives them the opportunity to experience whatever it is, whether it's going to the beach, whether it's going to the movies, whether it's going to Luna Park or even going to the football. It's an amazing initiative and he tells his story. So now let's sit back and have a listen to my chat with Keegan. This week in the Beach Shack, we've uh, got Keegan Hipgrave, which has got a really good story. He played for the NRL and uh, he got some injuries that uh, ended his career early. But let's start off. Uh, Keegan, how are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Mate, always a pleasure. Now, you were born the Gold Coast. So tell us a bit about that. It must have been pretty fun growing up on the Goldie. Mate, it was a good place. It was a good place to grow up. I was located in Palm Beach, so I went to Palm Beach Crumbin there. We were fortunate enough to have a, quite a few footy players go through, the likes of Ryan James and Kevin Proctor and Ben Eichen, and But we also had a bunch of surfers, so uh, Mick Fanning, Joel Parkinson, Fish was there. So there was a lot of guys to go through PBC. That were a bit before my time, but, mate, it was great. It was, uh, it was a good place to play footy and to surf, so... Mate, no, there was no complaints growing up. It was, it was unreal. Mate, was it a, a tough decision? Was it, yeah, you're surfing, football? Did you ever have to make that decision or you always loved the football? Well, I wasn't that good at surfing, to be honest, Hop. <laughs> I wish I was. It would have been unreal traveling around surfing. But, um, no, nah, it, it was always footy for me. I, um, I just surfed. Just as an outlet, I had a lot of mates that were surfing as well, so it was good to to get away from training and the rugby league side of it. So I just used surfing as a bit of an outlet, but no, it was always rugby league for me. That was sort of where my talents lied, and so I sort of went went down that track. So when you come through early days, did you play in any uh, the rep sides coming through for Queensland? Yeah, yeah. So I I was fortunate enough. I did the thirteens through to you know schoolboys with the Queenslanders, and then. 
got to play Australian schoolboys and went overseas. We played um, England and France over there in the Australian schoolboys, all the competition over there. So I was lucky in that sense. I was probably just bigger than everyone else growing up. So once I once I hit 16, 17, everyone caught up to me. So it was one of those things where I had to, you know, work on my game probably a little bit more and be a lot more skill-based and have to work harder because, you know, everyone's the same size as me. So... But yeah, growing up, I, I did a lot of the, um, I did a lot of junior reps. But that the trip overseas with the Australian schoolboys was unreal. We had guys like Latrell Mitchell, Tyrone Filmona. We had a bunch of guys. I think it was maybe sixteen out of twenty-two in the squad went on to play in the NRL. So it was good, mate. Yeah, it was good. We played three tests against England and then um, two tests against the French team over there, and it was good. It was good fun. Do you find, though, with kids that come through and they're playing in the rep sides, like you said, that year it sounded like it's unusual so many go on and play NRL. There's a lot of kids miss out, even though they've played, you know, Australian schoolboys and they play for Queensland, New South Wales in, like, the under-18s. Yeah, I think from looking at it now, you see a lot of the guys that play junior reps don't go on and play NRL. I think it was more the Australian schoolboys where, you're getting to the point of, you know, 17, 18, you're maturing a lot more and you're probably a little bit closer to playing in the NRL, but you see it all the time. Like you see kids that were the best in their year that just don't go on, whether it's a lack of talent or a lack of dedication or they just fall into the wrong crowd or they lose motivation for it. Like you, you see it all the time and it's hard. It's hard, like it's hard to make it into the NRLs along with all along with all professional sports. So I think it's, out of all the kids that play, I don't think even 1% go on into the NRL. And I'm sure it's the same in AFL and rugby and definitely surfing. But yeah, no, you see it all the time. So you played a bit of junior stuff with the Broncos. You got signed there? Yeah, yeah. I was. I did all my junior development through them. So that junior development usually starts around 13 and that's just maybe a training a month, go in, they they like to get you in so they you understand the culture of the Broncos and I played with them or trained with them till 20. They did a, there was an under 20s competition back then so we were a part, like sort of part-time in under 20s and I was fortunate enough to get to play or train with the NRL team when I was 17, 18. So I started off with the Bronx, uh, signed in year 12 on a four-year deal, which was pretty lucky. They obviously saw saw something in me and yeah, I got to do the – I ended up doing three and a half years with them. But, yeah, they were unreal. They had the likes of Corey Parker and Sam Friday and guys that I really looked up to when I was a kid. So I wanted to be involved in that system and learn as much as I could from them. And then when the opportunity came to sign with the Gold Coast Titans, was that a dream also because you'd grown up on the Gold Coast? Yeah, it was always – it was always a dream. Once the once the Titans came into the competition in 2007, that was my team. Prior, prior to that, it was the Brisbane Broncos, but I think your home team is always going to be your home team. And I grew up on the Gold Coast and I really, once the opportunity arose to play for the Titans, I just jumped on it. <clears throat> I was coming off a, a couple of injuries in 2017. Uh, so I made the switch midway through the season and then ended up getting to debut for the Gold Coast Titans in the end of 2017. And that was always a goal for me. I always wanted to debut 
while I was in under 20s and I just hit 20 and um, so it was cool. It was a good little goal for me and to do it hometown, all my friends and family got to come watch. So that was pretty special. I noticed too that it was against my team, the, the Mighty Roosters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good game. It was a good game. We we weren't doing too well back then, but I remember I was only supposed to play 10 minutes off the bench. It, that was all it was. It was the last game of the season. It was, it was pretty much like you've, you've trained well, like we'll, we'll give you a game. But then everyone got injured. So I had to play end up 60 minutes against the Roosters. And, uh, and it was solid. And we were in it till the very end. And I remember thinking, wow, this is the most incredible experience and I'll never forget it. It was, a bit, it was such a fun game. Pity about the result, but yeah, they were, they were a pretty good side. Mate, the result was good for me. Don't worry. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so tell us, you, you did mention a little bit about your injuries. Now, obviously a lot of footy players get injured, but lately they've really been – putting a lot on the concussion. And, and I know with the even with the Roosters where Boyd Cordner and, and Jake Friend retired because of so many concussions, tell us a bit about your concussions. Did you get them when you were younger or it just mainly came on when you started playing the NRL? I definitely got concussions throughout my juniors, like for sure. But back then it wasn't really something that we talked about too much. Uh, it wasn't until I came into the NRL and even the under-20s program where the conversation about concussion was a bit more dominant. So in 2019, I had three pretty solid concussions and the rule then, and it's still the rule now, where if you get three big concussions, then you have to go see a neurologist, you have to do testing. And the protocols is so good now. And In the last five years, it's... You know, back in the day, it was never talked about. It's like, yeah, you, it's, it's a hard man thing. You get hit in the head, you go out and you play again. But the conversation has changed a little bit in the last five years where the protocols are a lot more heavy, just purely to look after players, which I'm all for. So for my story, it was pretty much in 2019, I had a round of concussions, which ended up sitting me out for six months, purely just to give my brain a rest. I was getting to the stage where I was a lot more prone to concussion symptoms. So as you see, you know, in the Boyd Cordner and Jake Friend cases where you'd get a small hit to the head and they'd be, you know, knocked out. It would take such a small hit and you would see all the symptoms and that will, that's what was happening to me. So I ended up having a rest coming back in 2020 for the Gold Coast Titans. It was my last year on the contract and was fine. Like it's, it's one of those weird things where, your body's sweet and your, your your brain feels fine. You're ready to go, but you just can't quite do the contact. So I was training normally bar doing the contact throughout that whole stage. Ended up coming back, played the whole season, was fine. Moved to Parramatta last year with the Eels. And it was just one of those same things where I got three big concussions. The last one was the last game of the, of the season against Penrith in round 26. Had to tackle big Tavita Pangai on the line, and he was a he was a big boy, and ended up I ended up just having whiplash and hitting my head on the back of the ground, and was just out. Don't remember much of that game, or more the sec the first half, but yeah, and then went through the same concussion protocols, had a lot of symptoms. Um, my symptoms were more like being really irritable, which I'm not usually like off the field, on the field maybe, but on uh, off the field, not really. And then um, 
and a bunch of a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, the I, after conversations with the neurologist and my family, we came to the conclusion that I should medically retire. And for me, it was just about looking long term and yeah, looking after myself post post footy, which I ended up doing. During the concussions, like when you got them, like days later, was there a fear though to that this is going down a, a bad path and and then running back out in the field, was it ever in your back of your mind again? Because most of the when I look at it from an outsider, most of it is not from head high tackles, which a lot of people think. It's a lot of you know people going in for a tackle or or bouncing off and getting hit by someone else's thigh or knee or that causes the concussion. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's it, it varies. Like you can get a bunch of micro concussions, which is just from not even having a head knock. It's just two bodies just clashing. And for me, it was whiplash and my head hitting the ground. So it's not so much the big, you know, the big head highs that a lot of people think. It's a lot of the micro concussions and, like you said, going in for a tackle or being caught in an awkward position. Um, a lot of it's like that, yeah. But for me, the concussion symptoms stuck around for about six weeks post. Like looking forward, it's not in anyone's best interest to have six weeks off, you know, after every concussion you get. So from a from my point of view and probably the club's point of view as well, it's it's not ideal going forward. And what did the scan show? Like when you go and get a, a, a test with the neurologist, what shows up in, in your brain? Can you really tell there's something going on? You it's concussion's one of those it's one of those topics of conversation where it's so if there's so many factors going on. Like you could go in for me my the t- the two scans that I had showed that my head was a per, like a normal brain, right? I had two MRIs and brain scans um, and EEGs, but mine was more this. The test that they do is neurology, like neurological. So we do like problem solving tests and balance tests and memory tests and a bunch of tests, and so they can see your baseline. So they start with your baseline at the start of the year. And then after your concussions, they'll do the exact same testing. So you can see if you're higher or if you're lower. In my case, it was a lot lower. And then you also know yourself with, you know, being tired after training or um, can't sleep or memory lapses. And these were the things that I was getting. So it's a bit of a a no-brainer. So did you sit down with a neurologist and and he suggested you retire? Or where did the uh, retirement come from? Or was it something you thought – Look, I, I, I want to. Uh, obviously, I'm only a young bloke. I, I, I've got a future ahead of me. What made the decision? Well, like I, I love rugby league. I, you know, I, I always thought that I would have a ten plus year career and I'd be playing into my thirties. And the conversation was after the round of testing, and obviously, it was noted that my brain hadn't recovered and I was still having these symptoms six weeks post, which isn't normal. And the conversation was just. If you continue down this track, you, you know you're gonna. Your the conversation was that you're more prone to getting, or I was more prone to these concussion symptoms. So, and you know, you never know what's going on down the track. So for me, it was just after that conversation, the neuro recommended that I medically retire, and I, yeah, I took his advice on. And then, how was that feeling? Like, you know, obviously, you just said you, you thought you'd played until into your thirties as a professional yeah. football player. Yeah. Suddenly, it's just all cut short. It's over. Must have yeah, been it's, devastating. It's tough. Yeah, like definitely the hardest conversation that I've ever had to have. And I've spoken about it now, so I've spoken about it pretty frequently, so I'm, I'm pretty good at talking about it. Um, 
but it's it was hard. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I think I was lucky in the sense that I had a lot of really good people around me. Um, I could talk to them. I had a lot of really good friends around me. I was really proactive throughout my career in what I wanted to do post footy. So I did a bachelor of business. I started my masters in business, and then was always was always looking at what's next because my my parents were probably big on that. They always used to say like, you know, football's not forever. Like, what are you going to do afterwards? And the average career is only about forty six games, so it's not even two seasons. You know, you might be in a system for you know a couple of years, but you only get to play forty six games on average, roughly. So I was, yeah, I was an average career. I played about 49 games. And so I was just, yeah, I get thrown into that average career, which was cool. Like I'm happy, like I got to fulfill a childhood dream. That's playing the NRL. And now I'm looking at what's next. And in that case, it's, um, I get to work with a disability support service uh, in Wattability, which is um, fulfilling a really cool passion. And it's given me a lot of purpose for his footy. So it's something that I'm really excited about going forward. Yeah, I mean, I was at the, uh, the fundraiser the other week with you guys, and uh, yeah. it, was, it was amazing. And then listening to what you do, and and it's uh, something that I suppose I see at the beach as well. A lot of people come down, and and you guys come down to, to Bondi as well, and and bring the kids, and it's amazing. And and to what their life is, we take our life for granted. For sure, for sure, it's such a. It's such a small thing for us to do, but it, they get so much out. Like the participants get so much out of it. You know, a lot of a lot of our participants they can't read, they can't write, they can't speak, but they can go to Bondi Beach and swim for three hours on end. You know, we've got a participant in Paige who she loves going down to the beach, and we'll go out with her and we'll swim with her for three plus hours. You know, we'll take I'll bring a couple of mates down and. You know, we we can do ever. So they just because they can't do certain things doesn't mean they can't do a lot of other things. We'll go to Penrith Cables and they can sit on a cable, almost what do you call it, like a like a ski almost, and then go do loops around the around the lake. And these little things, like it just makes their day. And that's all. Like that's all we have to do is just we go out and we have fun, and we we partner with a lot of part time and full time athletes. Obviously, it just makes sense because they bring a lot of energy to the table and participants, a lot of participants know them and they see them on the screen so they can relate. Oh, that's, that's uh, Carl Lawton. say that's Carl Lawton. I've seen him on the TV and now he's with me now. So they, they thrive on that. But a lot of the, a lot of the times the participants don't even know who they are and they just thrive on the energy that these athletes bring. So, and that's an also a really good comparison, another good transition for me leaving football because I still get to be around, friends, athletes, and bring them on to, you know, an organisation like WhatAbility. And is that a part of your role now too, is to source other athletes out there and, and bring them on board and, and help out uh, these kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly my role. So I'm, uh, so I manage the athletes that we currently have. We've got a bunch of netballers, rugby league players, cricketers, and so a lot of the part-time Athletes, like so, if they're not being paid at a full-time rate, and they but they still want to train at a high level, they come on board with us as a support worker. That's really good in the sense. But then we've also got our higher level, higher level ambassadors, where they are more. They come to events. They're all fully qualified support workers, so they take out kids on bookings when they can or when they have time. But yeah, that's pretty much my role. I'll get to go out with mates and take participants on booking. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be good because you know you had to retire early, and so many people 
not only in football but all sports that are at that elite level, if it's cut short, they can easily go off the rails. I've seen it around the eastern suburbs and they really struggle going from a the elite sport into the rest of the community and then having to work out what am I going to do now? Mate, you see it. You see it all the time. And I've seen horror stories as well like you. you you're with these guys, you're training, you've got such a structured routine. And then once that routine has gone, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Like you need purpose, you need meaning in life. And if you don't have them to fall back on, then what are you going to do? You're probably going to go into some pretty dark places. And like you, like you would have seen it happen a thousand times. So I think to, to be proactive throughout your career and have something to fall back on um, or even something to look forward to after sport, it's so important. Mm. Did you find you went through any dark periods at all when, when you finished or you were lucky enough to have the support and, and continue through? Mate, I was, I was pretty lucky. I can see how people would go through it, but for me, I was always proactive throughout my career. Don't get me wrong, I've been through plenty of dark times throughout my career. Uh, there's been plenty, but in the transition, obviously, I was sad and I was upset and there definitely was times where you know it's, you think it's unfair, but... I think I was lucky in the sense where I had a really good support network around me. I had, I was proactive throughout my career, so I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And I actually said, I'm not doing anything for six months. I was like, once I retired, I was like, man, I'm happy to, I'll put my feet up. I didn't want to, the boys were going back to preseason. They were getting flogged. And I was like, I'm actually happy that I don't have to do that again. <laughs> but then after I, I caught up with Steve, the CEO of WhatAbility, and he said, mate, just come in for a day. Like, just take a kid out on a booking. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm not doing, like, I'm, I've got time. You know, I'm not training, sure, why not? And then just fell in love with it from there. So these, yeah, little things pop up here and there. And that was just one of the things that took my attention that I jumped on. But it's great. And so everybody that comes on board, do they have to get put through some sort of training and a course to, to deal with the kids? Yeah, so what ability, we hold ourselves to a pretty high standard um, of support workers, all our support workers in general, just have to have a working with children's check, police check, and NDIS check. Obviously, that varies through uh, certain states, but we also put them through an epilepsy essential training, first aid. And then once you want to come on with more complex participants, then there's a bunch of other courses that will put you through to help out. But to begin with, it's, pre it's pretty much those three, along with you know a couple of other checks. And we provide all the training. And yeah, it's... Uh, it's fun. So we, we encourage any athlete or any person that wants to be involved in the space to, to reach out. And um, yeah, we put, we put them through that. We just had a bunch of soon to be ambassadors come, uh, come in on Thursday and I won't say their names because we'll announce that in a, in a couple of weeks, but they, we put them all through the induction and all through the course, which was uh, it'll be a couple hours and then a couple hours after, after last Thursday. And it's cool. You got these, a couple of the biggest names in the NRL along with netball and they're all plugging away. They're doing all the, all the essential stuff that they have to do that involves an induction, but they do it because they want to, you know, we don't pressure anyone to do, to come on board. They all do it because they want to, it's all player driven, which is pretty cool. Mate, they uh, must get a lot out of it. And also I suppose being involved and then they see the kids help the kids. It must just, yeah, give them a total different perspective on life. That's and that you hit the nail on the head. Like that's why I encourage like younger athletes to come in because you know you you can sort of get stuck in this little bubble being in a professional environment. But when you step out of it, yeah, it just opens your eyes and 
you know, it, it's one of those rare environments uh, or industries where everyone wins. You know, the participants win because they're having so much fun. The parents win because, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty hard on them. You know, they're, we only deal with the participants for a couple of hours, but they're with them 24 seven. And a lot of the participants are pretty, uh, pretty complex and sometimes hard to deal with. And then from an athlete's point of view, the athletes win as well because they're getting so much out of it from the kids. They thrive on the energy that they bring. And once you sort of get familiar with a participant, we try and link support workers up with, you know, participants so they can be familiar with them. You sort of get to know their triggers, but you also get to know like what they thrive on. Like, uh, for instance, Paige, where she loves going down to Bondi. So we'll go to the the participant and support worker. will go down to Bondi and spend a couple hours there. And you know, she's going to have the best time ever. It's amazing. When I see kids in the water and, and you'd say, it's unbelievable what the water does for these kids. It's, it's the smile, you know, they're, they, as you said, they, they, some can't function well with their, with their arms and legs and they, they can't speak. But as soon as you put them in water, this just big smile comes on their face. I don't know what it is. I honestly don't know what it is. And it's not for, and, and don't get me wrong, like it's not for every participant. But a lot of participants just love it. They go down to icebergs. They go down to any ocean bars. Like they'll go to a aquatic center. Like a lot of the a lot of our participants go to whatever aquatic center is in their local area, and they just love it. They're like your the support workers in there with them, and some of them like being thrown around. Other them just like swimming under the water or splashing, and they just they get so much out of it. And then once you see. You know, once you see their smile on your face, you know, it's obviously going to put a smile on your face for sure. Well, an example, I, I, and, and the ambassador for Little Heroes, and it's a, a, a little group that they, uh, they've got a little pool out at uh, Alexandria and they take the kids there. And I went out one day and, and had a look and they had this girl turned up and she had uh, cerebral palsy and yeah. now she's in the wheelchair couldn't move her arms, her leg. They got the little um, lift that lifts them up into the water. Yeah. Now, it lifted her in the water. She actually stood up in the water because the water would allow her to stand. Wow. And then she just went big smile, <laughs> went back on her back, yeah. and then it was just floating, just floating in this pool. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, it must be an amazing feeling for her because on land she can't do anything, but in the water she can, she can just sort of – Feel what's happening. It's absolutely amazing. Gives you gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? And their and their body, like you said, a body so stiff throughout the day gives a chance for a body and a muscles to actually move around. And because you've got all that buoyancy in the water, like oh, that must be feels so good for her and for you know everyone that's in a similar situation. Yeah, and even her parents watching her parents and like standing up. It's like she feels as though she can actually stand on her own, and it's just. Uh, an amazing thing to see and, and I think a lot of kids coming through need to see this because I think a lot of people take their life for granted or they're whinging about someone else and this is more for you know people listening that there's more to life than you know to get out there and and really have a good look. It puts everything in perspective. I remember my first ever day with What Ability, I was with a participant called James. He's a two-on-one, so two support workers for, for him. And he was pretty complex, you know, 45 minutes just to get in and out of the car. You got to be very structured with him saying, James, he loves his iPad. So we're like, James, unbuckle seatbelt, out of car iPad. And you give him a reward with, with the iPad at the end. And it was a, like a pretty taxing day. But 
obviously super rewarding at the end of it. And I, I remember just, I like getting back to putting it all in perspective. I remember my missus, she got locked out of the house for a couple of hours because she forgot her keys at home. And I remember her, she just, she was just completely off it. Um, she tends to carry on a little bit, but that's all right. But she completely <laughs> as, off as it. As they all do, mate. My yeah. mind does too. Mate, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I was just like, I was like, we are so fortunate to be like, we're going home to a house. I was like, what did you do? You got to sit on the couch for a couple hours while you waited for me to get home. It's just like, it just puts everything into perspective. I came home from this day with James and thinking, we are just so lucky, like, and to be able to help, like, give back, it's it's huge. Oh, it is, a, it is you know? amazing, and and that's something we do too. At the as lifeguards, you know, obviously we're rescuing people and saving people's lives, and but also that's one reason why I want to do the podcast is because it's helping a lot of people out there. There because so many people are so focused on social media and they're looking at what someone else is doing. They think everyone else's life is just so fantastic, but. You know, theirs is so bad, but realistically, it's it's not. It's it's something that we all need to take that step back and 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 understand what's actually really going on and do stuff that you want to do. And like you guys, like how do you get involved with uh, what what ability? What ability? Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to get involved if you want to become a support worker. Just go to a website, whatability.com.au. You can reach out to me on my Instagram at Keegan Hipgrave. Just get in touch, yeah, We're, or even come out to a camp. We run camps throughout the year. It's easy to volunteer if you just want to have a taste. Corporate as well, if the uh, corporate partners want to come out to a camp just to experience what it's like, they can be a volunteer or a bystander there. Mate, there's a, there's a million different ways. Just All I encourage is to reach out and, and we'll make it work. And what ability is, it's mainly giving the person the experience, isn't it? Yeah, so WhatAbility Company provides a support service. The WhatAbility Foundation provides experience to kids. So for Magic Round, the NRL Magic Round the other day, we took a participant uh, to run out with the uh, Cowboys, with Chad Townsend. So he got to run the ball out with Chad, and it was an unreal experience, and he's a massive Cowboys fan. Just so we, we, provide, um, we provide experiences for kids and their family, whether that be sporting events, movies, theme parks, whatever it is. We want to unlock as many experiences as we can. I think the goal at the moment is a million experiences by 2026. Oh, well, oh yeah, you know what I mean? So we want to, yeah, that's our goal for sure. And it's only relatively new, isn't it, WhatAbility? It hasn't been around that long? No, no. So we're the WhatAbility PTY, we've been, we've been around for three years. So in um, retrospect, we're, we're pretty new. We've I didn't know too much about the disability sector, to be honest. Like my view going in was it's a, it's an old industry, you know, it doesn't, it's not, it's not fun, but coming into what ability that's our role where, you know, we're turning it on its head. We're bringing athletes in, we're changing the conversation where it's a young thing. It's a young and it's a cool thing to do and to be involved in. And it's a full time, like support workers, they're usually casual they usually pay to casual rates, they're casual workers. But we've just onboarded 12 new full-time workers in the last, I don't know, I think week, two weeks, something like that. So we want to change it in the sense where it is a, it's an actual career path that people can take if they choose to. I think it's great because it's normalising it, isn't it? It's, it's bringing everybody together no matter what ability you've got, but you come together as one. Exactly right. Like a picture, picture you've got, 
you know, your favorite athlete walking down Bondi with a participant with autism or cerebral palsy or whatever it is, you're changing the conversation where everyone's looking up to this athlete and they're both like, you know, they're both having fun. They're both getting so much out of it. It just changes everything where, you know, it might've been in the shadows for, you know, the last couple of decades, but now we're out in the community. We're not like, we're not hiding. We're engaging, you know, we get our participants to order coffees or order their lunches or meals or whatever it is. Like we're creating the conversation where it's okay to be seen out in the community and it's just normal. That's, that's what we want to get to. Mate, it's, it's a great initiative and I think you guys will uh, really move forward as the years go on and, and satisfy so many of these kids with the disabilities. And, you know, I can see it already with the, the smiles that you put on their faces. Yeah, we got our, our whole office. You probably can't see behind me, but our whole office is full of photos with participants and their support workers. And we're actually, we're running out of wall space. I don't know if we need a bigger office or what we're going to do, put more walls up. But um, yeah, we're definitely, that's our goal. We Like our KPIs is, is to put smiles on kids' faces. That's all we have to do. And that's why it works. It's because it's so simple. Happy, happiness comes first. That's our motto. And that's all, that's all we have to do. Mate, it's a pretty good motto for me. It's, uh, yeah, that's uh, really, really good. Now, mate, uh, at the end of the interview, I do a segment called Five Fun Facts. So I'm going to throw some uh, questions at you. The first one, favourite takeaway food? Takeaways? Um, <laughs> I started young fish and chips on a Friday afternoon. Fish and chips all the time. I'm still, I'm still sticking with it. <laughs> uh, favourite childhood memory? Uh, it would be probably surfing Crescent Head. Crescent Head, that, that break with my dad and sister. We used to go out there at Christmas time every year and, yeah, a good little spot there. Mate, cats or dogs and why? Dogs, 100%. I got a, I got a little Kelpie named Frankie. Uh, he's a one-year-old. He's a terror, but we love him to pieces, so there's, I can't say cats. It's got to be dogs. <laughs> Mate, I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it? Mate, at the moment, it's probably Golden by Harry Styles. I don't know what it is. I'm, I wasn't usually a Harry Styles fan, but like, he's got every time it comes on, I can't stop. I can't stop singing it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if you were a DJ, what would your DJ name be? DJ name would probably be... Um, the boys used to call me Hippo back in the day. So maybe DJ, maybe DJ Hippo or something like that. <laughs> Not Hopper, Hippo. <laughs> hippo, Hippo. Don't yeah. worry. People Google me. Sometimes it comes up as Hippo instead of Hoppo. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah. I've, I've copped that a few times over the years. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Keegan, mate, it's been great having you in and talking about what ability and also your career and unfortunately it, it finished a bit uh, earlier than you would have thought, but Maybe it's a uh, a path that was meant to be, and you've now moved into an area which you're going to help so many more people. Yeah, mate. I think I think everything happens for a reason, and uh, while I love rugby league and I'm going to miss it, I I can't complain in the industry that I am in. I love it. I I come to work every day with a smile, and I'm around really good people. So, mate, I I love what I do. I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. And mate, just once again. If people want to be involved or they want to donate to WhatAbility, what's the best way to go about that? Uh, if you want to donate, go to the WhatAbilityFoundation.com.au. 
or reach out via socials on Instagram. Um, we're across all of them. So just reach out. We'll make it work. But that's probably the best, best place to go is the whatabilityfoundation.com.au. Is that the same for people who have got their kids that want to give them an experience? Yeah, yeah. And if you want, yeah, 100%, 100%. Just go to the website or our Instagrams or Facebook or any of the socials and, yeah, it's, we make it pretty easy. <laughs> we make it pretty easy. Just get there and um, you'll be able to find it for sure. Mate, I, I couldn't recommend you guys more. You know, I've met you a few times at uh, different functions and charities and what you guys do is uh, – absolutely amazing and uh, keep up the good work thanks up mate thanks for having me on I, I love these chats that you're doing what you're doing it's unreal so keep it up mate appreciate it now let's go to beach banner okay this week in the beach shack it's a pleasure to have josh burke better known as berkey how are you mate how are you hot man i'm good I'm good. It's freezing in Sydney at the moment, but I love it. <laughs> well, mate, uh, thinking back over, you know, I've done a lot of suicides over the years and, and you have done some. And which one uh, stands out for you? Hot. Talking about cold, I think the one that stands out the most was um, it was a cold winter's day. I was actually working in the North Tower by myself, you know, which is always bit of an interesting time, you, yourself and I, you know, your own thoughts. And I was actually sitting there kind of just looking out to the north corner, the main rip, and I saw a gentleman at the shoreline pulling what I thought was a mannequin out of the water. And um, I said, oh, that's a bit strange. And earlier that morning, they were actually filming a show on the beach. And I said, oh, okay, it must be a part of the show. And I looked around, no cameras. And I got the binoculars out and I looked at, what I, you know, what he was pulling out and um, it was a fully clothed body and the guy ended up turning and looking to the main tower and waving his hands. I went, oh, okay. So I grabbed the first aid kit. I started walking down and I, I made a radio call to, you know, Central and I said, oh, boys, I think we've got something here. And um, as I got closer, the guy started yelling at me going, you know, it's a body, it's a body. And excuse my language, but I, I think I went F- um, we're on here, boys. Bring everything, and it kind of it kind of became a line after that because that's in that stage. You know, I had just gone from a very very quiet kind of day in this North Tower to having a fully clothed body wash up on the beach. I got over him, and yeah, he I, at the time I couldn't really tell if he would if he had just died or, or how long he'd been in the water for. But I just did exactly what I was trained to do. Um, I got straight on the chest started doing compressions and um, I, I, you know, probably a minute in or not even a minute, the boys came down, Jethro and Jacko with the defib and we started all working together. And I remember just working on him and thinking, this doesn't really feel like a, 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 you know, someone that had just died. And Jethro actually started yelling at me going, Berkey, Berkey, Berkey. I think, I think this guy's been dead for a while. And then we were trying to actually get a Goodell into him so the, the tube to go down the throat and his mouth wouldn't open. And, yeah, it was a full-on experience. So at first, though, did you think, geez, this guy may have entered the water from the beach? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I, I thought I'd messed up for sure. You know, it's it was one of those days, Hop, as you probably had a thousand of them, where there's just nothing going on and you question yourself, like, did I miss this guy? Because it's fully my responsibility and, and there were so many things going through my head 
that it's my fault. Um, the reason that he's dead is because of me. And just a hundred miles an hour, you know, and um, it was kind of having Jacko and Jethro race down and really being there and supporting and then kind of, you know, putting two and two together to realize that this guy had been dead for a while. You know, once we kind of got out of that shock of resus mode, which you go into, we kind of analyzed him and, and said, yeah, I, I think this guy's been dead for a while, which police later confirmed he had ID on him and they had reported him missing off the gap probably three days prior. So what did you take away from that after that experience? I think what I took away from it is that I, I, I learned a lesson without really having any consequence, I guess. It's it's always just be on the ball, you know. I I kind of wish I was the one that pulled him out. I felt for the, the member of the public, he reckons all he saw was a hand, a, a wave ro- rolled over and there was a big clunk of seaweed and he just saw a hand come out and then go back in. So I guess from that, I felt like I need to be more vigilant on those rainy days. And, you know, it's it's one of those things, I guess, in life it does happen, but I just got, you know, got the boys around me, made sure we were all supported. We went and had dinner that night. Um, yeah, just making sure that you've got a good network around you. Because, I mean, over all the years, it, it does affect some of the guys. I think we all have some sort of effect when we deal with a, a dead body, especially when we, you know, we don't get them back or you know, a, a body retrieval because we've got to deal also with the families that, that may come down. Yeah, that's that's always one of the hardest parts for sure. Um, you know, I, I still can still see all the faces of the ones that have done and it's never um, it never goes away. But I just make sure that I'm, you know, I've got a good team around me and if I'm not feeling the best, then I go speak to whoever I need to speak to. You know, as you know, I'm an ambassador for Are You OK? So I'm, I'm very big on asking the question. It's not weak to speak and it's good to get it out in the open and express how you're feeling at that particular time because, you know, that guy didn't get the help that he needed and, and that's the situation that he ended up in and you don't want to see that for anyone. Well, Berkey, mate, it's great having you in the beach shack and uh, sharing your story and, mate, uh, I'll definitely get you in again soon. Thanks, Hop. See you around. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's letter from the mailbag is from Peter and he's from Sydney and he said we've had some massive swell coming through the the beaches over the last couple of days. Was there much damage? Well, Peter, there uh, was a fair bit of damage, especially uh, Saturday night into Sunday. It was... uh, Big tides, big swell, and a lot of damage was done. Our roller doors were pushed back, uh, and that was right at the back of the beach. So they were quite damaged. Inside, there's it's full of sand and debris. So a lot of uh, cleanup to be done, and the beaches along the coastline, a lot of sand has moved. A lot of sand has been taken away as well, with a lot of rocks exposed to different uh, beaches. So swell is starting to uh, calm down, but we look like we're going to get another one coming into the weekend over the next few days. So everybody out there, especially rock fishermen, no rock fishing when these conditions are massive. Keep an eye on all the swell charts, the weather charts, and so you know when to go down to the beach and when not to, and when to fish off rocks and when not to fish off rocks. So... Thanks, Peter, for your letter and 
I'll catch you all next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.